Hello and welcome to Bring the Mustard for another week. My name is Trent Copen. With me, Ben Rora, as always. Josh Layla, how are you going? Lenny, how you doing, mate? Yeah, going all right. JL? Very good, Lenny. Very good. So you just got to flick off a last-minute text, do you then, Yeah, mate? mate. Sorry, just before we get started. <laughs> no worries. All right. research. Yeah, the sporting agenda <laughs> for the time. week. We've got quite a few things to talk about. Some news that's just come to hand about Floyd Mayweather, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, but we'll start off talking about the Ashes' first test build-up. We've got Wimbledon, all things the Australian boys. Jeez, there's been some controversial things happen this week with Kyrgios and Tomic. And then we talk Tour de France with our resident guru, Roars, who stays up every night and watches it. And then we'll also touch on the NBA free agency. We might even, if we've got time, talk about some of the Premier League transfers that have happened already. Let's get straight into it and talk Ash's first test build-up. Now, the big one is Ryan Harris, a retirement that wasn't foreseen. He had a crack in his tibia after this last uh, tour match against Essex. And the big thing for me is that he is such a huge loss. He was, Clark came out and said that he was, I guess, one of the first picked on the team sheet when he was available and, and fit. But for under 30 test matches, you know, this guy is an absolute star. He's a hero for a lot of Australians. Uh, you know, his career's been cut far too short. Yeah, now Ryan Harris has been one of the you know the famous faces of the Cricket Australia team the last five years. Um, since Australia's really turned its cricket around, he's been one of the guys that's been a staple member in that team. And when he's been on the park, he's been one of our best. Uh, it's a shame that we've only seen him play 30 tests, but he's going to be sorely missed in the upcoming Ashes, no doubt in conditions that, uh, that would have suited him down to the ground. So big hole for the Aussies to replace. Yeah, very disappointing. Obviously a fantastic bowler with everything you've mentioned before, but... To be fair, it was going to be a really hard road back. back. Um, we know he's just come coming back from the knee the knee operation and no meniscus left in there anyway and he's, <laughs> he's cracked his tibia. So that's another, as you said, four, four to five months out. So he had without. done that previously and it was four or five months until running again, yeah. probably 12 months back bowling. So he would have been 36 and the next test summer would have started in Australia. That's a, that's a huge effort, especially at that age and coming off the back of another rehab session. It's, um, it's mentally draining more than anything, isn't it? Absolutely, and he did make mention that uh, he's got his career focus as well. He, he wants to get into coaching. He's going to stay on for a couple of weeks with Darren Lehman in, in the tour and help out the bowlers if need be, but no doubt he's on the fast track. I think I read that Phil Jakes, uh, who was our assistant coach here at the Blues last year, and now the Queensland head coach has already offered him a job That's as an assistant surprising. with the Queensland guys. So smart move there from Jakesy and hopefully uh, Rhino you know, sits into a, a cushy role there because he's Absolutely. certainly certainly a guy that is, you know, one of the nice guys, but also has a lot to offer uh, the next breed of Australian cricketers. Let's talk of the other things that uh, are big topics at the moment, and that is, Roars, you've just seen a tweet this morning about Chris Rogers and Shane Watson, guaranteed starters for that first first test. Yeah, I just read the tweet around that, saying the two the two veterans are going to get a the first crack at the spot, I suppose, and um, I think that's a good thing. Uh, taking experience into a big a big series like this is invaluable, and I'm sure that those two will do a great job. Uh, however, there's a lot of pressure on them, so How if they do, Marsh going? yeah, if they do miss out a few times, there's some guys in really good form who will come into that fold. Yeah, I think we've, we've spoken about it a number of times. Um, Australia's going to use more than 11 players in this test series. We already know that. And we've got a lot of guys in there that are in great nick, like we've spoken about. Mitch Marsh, uh, Adam Boges, 
Um, Pat Cummins just flown over there. We'll see who who gets picked for the first test. Sids may miss out there, so let's just talk on that one. Yep, Pat Cummins being called over. One of our good friends here at New South Wales played a, a good role for the Australians in the World Cup win, and he has that X factor. He, he has that little bit of difference about him that he's got that extra pace. But he hasn't played a first class game in almost two years. Yeah, uh, I'm he, not, he not sure he knows what a red ball looks like. <laughs> well, he might have to try and climb one on the way to the, on the way to that first test down at Swalwick Stadium in Cardiff, but. What are your thoughts on his inclusion? You know, I think that he's naturally the next guy that will progress into that team if there was an injury or if there was bad form. Young guy, he's 22 years of age, and he's you know just got that Test cricketer about him, like Josh Hazelwood had, you know, from early doors. Yeah, he reeks of a he reeks of a quality cricketer. He reeks. <laughs> he, reeks. he does reek. He reeks, and he reeks is of that, a quality cricketer. Is um, that straight from Penrith uh, Great Creek oh, change rooms? Please. He reeks. No, he's got a lot. He's apart from his odor, he's got a lot of upside, um, <laughs> and you know I'm not sure exactly how much he'll get used in this test. If if Austra- the bowling attack needs a bit of a spark, I'm sure he'll he'll get his uh, his next baggy green. But I think um, if everything goes to plan for the Australians, he might you know if they're up four nil, he might squeeze a test in at the back end, or if they need a bit of a spark. But I think this is the first sign that we've seen that they really want to get him you know straight back in as soon as possible. Um, and if it's not this series, if things go to well for Australia, then it, they'll be looking ahead probably for the summer back home. He's got a fair record in his one test that he yeah. has played. Yeah, <laughs> a I man of the match performance. Don't know that I'd want to be trying to ruin those stats, but after <laughs> him. Retire uh, Yeah, that's right. Give it away. And what are your thoughts on the inclusion of Adil Rashid in the England squad? Now, I've noticed that Adam Zampa, who's playing cricket in the UK, has been asked to train with the Aussies in the last couple of days. Now, no doubt that is about the expectation that they think Rashid might get a game in this first test. They know TB's thoughts on the value of a, of a wrist spinner, of someone that can provide a bit of difference. Do you think he can get a game? Uh, and if he does, what sort of impact can he have on a test series rules? Yeah, I think it's a good um, a good opportunity for England to play a bit of aggressive cricket and, and pick a leg spinner. Uh, obviously, there are other options, Mali, part-time Mali. off spinner. Well, yeah. Probably a bit more with his bowling than part-time. More, yeah. But but let's have a, let's face it, he's a batter first and foremost. Rashid, I think, can can give him that bit of X factor potentially. I still don't see it being a big big issue for our our batters. We've got some very good players that spin bowling, Absolutely. Uh, especially in that middle order. So I think if he does play, we'll we'll deal with it quite well. But I I do like the move from England being quite an aggressive move. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what I cannot wait for, and that is tomorrow night's lineup of sport. We've got the State of Origin going straight into the start of the Ashes. So don't forget the tour. And the Tour de France, no doubt, going the whole night. Let's get on to that. Nice little segue for us oh, there, Rawls. He cannot wait to talk about this because there was massive, massive... Was carnage last yes, night. Yes, Rawls. Talk us through it. Tour de France started two nights ago, I think. This is uh, the third stage last night. We had an Aussie with the yellow jersey on yes. day one. Yeah, day one, he won the uh, time trial, the individual time trial. Rowan Dennis, um, he, he's having a good, good year, actually, and he's, he's got a... A big future in Australian cycling. He won the Tour Down Under earlier this year. Another so another Aussie hero. Another Aussie hero. He could be. He could be. So uh, that was great to see. He's the seventh Australian to wear the yellow jersey in the Tour, which is um, over the years. That's obviously the pinnacle for for an Australian cyclist yep. to to be wearing that. If um, it was me and I was in the Tour. I'd blow out in day one just so I could be on that I'm not list. sure you'd finish the time trial. I could have had it. <laughs> to be but fair. you know what I mean? Like if I was, but if I was at that capacity, I'd have a crack day one, yep. get the yellow jersey, and, and then it. say, righto. Oh, I've got a punctured tyre. Cost me. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so talk us through what happened last night. 
yeah, so last night um, there was quite a big accident, one of the worst that they've seen for a while with about 20, 20 riders. Um, one guy at going at, at top speed as well fell down and 20 blokes rode over him pretty much. Uh, there was a few pullouts after that, including an Australian, Simon Gerrans, who won, a, won at least one, probably maybe two stages last year, and, and that's what he was going for again this year with Orica Green Edge was uh, stage wins. He wasn't an overall competitor, but um, they're looking to, to nab a few stages, which unfortunately that won't happen. They'll have to look to someone else now. Uh, but Chris Froome, who, who's the favourite, he, he ended up running second last night after the crash and, and put a bit of time on his main rivals. So he's already got um, 36 seconds on Alberto Contador, which is his, probably his closest rival at the moment. There's probably only two other guys who can potentially um, match it with him, and that's Nibali, who's or another minute behind, and Quintara, uh, Quintara, Quintara from Colombia, <laughs> who's another um, 20 seconds behind that. So... Uh, it looks like it's all set up for Chris Froome unless there's there's more accidents coming. And the leader overnight was one of the ones that was injured in that crash? Yeah, Fabian Cancellara has been, been in quite a few tours. Um, he's more of a sort of one-day classic specialist, but he does bob up and, and win the odd stage, and he did that the night before, uh, took the yellow jersey. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, he was involved in that crash, went over his handlebars and uh, got up and, and finished the stage, but turned out that he, he had two fractured vertebrae in his, in his lower back after that. But, Serious um, effort to finish the stage. Wow. Yeah, and, and that's most of them do that and, and push through until that night, and then they get their scans and, and work out whether they can finish the tour or not. Yeah, well, I'll tell you my experience with this, Rawls, and I'm, I like, I'm a bandwagon watcher of the Tour de France. I normally watch the business end, and uh, my wife and I went to Europe a couple of years ago and we went to Paris uh, and we walked down the streets and we were looking at the Champs-Élysées with the finish of the tour and we were in fact I was saying oh Kim you know this is where you look and th this is where they ride in and as a matter of fact I was pointing in the wrong direction <laughs> Uh, so that was my involvement with uh, being there on the final day of the tour. But uh, it, what a fantastic event, some serious. And I hope that there is no, you know, drug problems this year because it is a serious event and, and a lot of Aussies, you know, train hard and, and do the right thing. Well, so we believe that they do the right thing and there's some serious athletes athletes in there. So Definitely. And if you are looking to watch a stage at any any time, I reckon uh, it's the second last stage, stage 20, on the 25th of July, Saturday night. I'll remind you as we get closer, but uh, they're going up out to up the west to finish, which is one of the, the classic finishes there in the tour. Uh, that's after going up another mountain before that, at about 2,000 <laughs> 2, metres high. So um, that'll be a cracking stage, and, and that'll be one to watch um, Chris Froome and, and those boys taking it on up that second mountain to... Um, probably win the well win the tour if you get up there first yeah absolutely all right let's move on to another controversial topic and this is Wimbledon uh, now the tournament itself isn't controversial but there's two Australians that have been Bernard Tomic and Nick Kyrgios Tomic actually got flogged by uh, Novak Djokovic which wasn't uh, I guess unsurprising but Nick Kyrgios last night uh, he has a good record against Richard Gasquet and in the round of 16 he came and he, he, he fronted up for that first set. He lost a close first set. Then the second set, there was a real capitulation. He, he got an audible obscenity warning from the chair umpire and seemed to take it really personally like they're trying to crack down on him. He made gestures towards the umpire, uh, sort of like the next two games were a personal attack on the umpire. He was accused of tanking. Uh, literally, I was watching at the time and, and Gasquet literally served to him 
he was hitting it into the ground or just letting it go past him as he was walking to the next side to deliberately lose the game and gesturing towards the um the chair umpire with a clapping sensation with saying, you know, that one's for you, mate, to the yeah. chair umpire. Now, I like that he fought back after that, but I don't like the fact that, you know, there is fans that have paid lots of money to fly over from Australia or even just being in London and going to watch the event, paying money to get front row seats and, and wear the Fanatics jerseys and go on tours, uh, you know, let alone the people that stay up late and watch on TV. So I think there's a bigger picture here. Tomic and Kyrgios are very much in their own bubble at the moment. They're about their own egos and about their own success. I think they need to really be taught about the bigger picture and the fact that they're representing their country every time they step onto that court. Roars? Well, they're probably they're born straight into, into this sort of environment when they're quite young, so they probably don't know anything else other than that and what it, what it is like to sort of work a day and, and, and have to do that sort of stuff. And I thought Kyrgios was the same one. Is that <laughs> all right? I thought he was going to be the, the golden yeah. child of Australian yeah. tennis, but there's obviously something going on with him and um, yeah, it, it doesn't look good at all. It's a couple of game, couple of matches in a row, isn't it, that he's um, really put a bit of a tantrum on and um, so, carried on. So in this match, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, and I certainly don't advocate it, but I don't mind the racket throw uh, in frustration. Well, at, that happens, doesn't it, in, in all Gasquet, sports? For example, Gasquet on the other side, when he lost the third set after having many match points, he came and he snapped his racket almost in half. Now, no one's talking about Gasquet as being a petulant child, but when they get stacked up on top of each other along with the swearing and along with the, you know, the, the taking the piss out of the chair umpires yeah. all the time, you know, I think, you know, we have to deal with umpires' decisions that we may not agree with. You know, I've been sanctioned a few times for crossing that line. And Rightly not, so. Well, but I'm not <laughs> proud of it. But I've learnt, I think that I have learnt my lesson uh, because you don't want to be involved with that and have that stigma around you for your whole career. So, JL, what are your thoughts on, you know, also the Tomic press conference where he slagged off, you know, Tennis Australia, pocketing money and not utilising yeah. it well, charging him for using balls and yeah. courts. Like, it yeah. just seems like it's a never-ending circle. For me, they're, they're, two, they're, they're in, painted with a similar brush, but I feel like they are different situations at the moment. Tomic has been ongoing for three or four years, or at least three or four years now, um, where Kyrgios, I feel like, this has only been going on since he's been... Like, he beat Rafa this time last year, and that was really him coming onto the world stage. So he's had a year on it or now, a year on it now, and you'd like to, you'd like to have seen some changes, um, you know, within the last year. It's been back-to-back -back matches now that he's had issues with the umpire. It's disgraceful the way he's carrying on, um, and it won't, be, it won't be tolerated, but I don't think you can just necessarily put those two in the same basket. Tomic having a go at the organisation that... He says doesn't support him, but basically the organisation that supports, you know, the game that he loves and looks after it at a grassroots level and will it will be around long after Bernard Tomic is gone. Um, I think that's that's pretty disgraceful. But it probably just, won't be long the way he's playing. That's yeah, that's right. But just on the way that Kyrgios is behaving, someone who I've seen go through similar things every Friday for sport, blaming the referee for his own issues. Ben Rory, would you like to comment on, on what it's like to to take your issues this out on uh, the official? 
Yeah, I, I don't think I've gone to that level though. <laughs> I do get That's cranky with the ref, but there is a line, and I know where it is. Okay. And if you do it in the right tone, I think you can get away with it. Do you think you can actually force the result to go your way? No, you can't change his, you can't change his mind. You can just let him know for next time. <laughs> That's right. We try that every Friday for, for AFL, but unfortunately, as we all know, the oldies that of which all three of us are a part of, I think, are. One and three, or zero and three at the moment. So. Yeah, we're struggling at the moment. <laughs> but all right, let's just touch on some results. So, Kyrgios losing to Gasquet in the round of sixteen last night. Tomic losing to Djokovic. We saw Hewitt bow out in the first round. There's been a few other guys in the men's draw. Sam Groth uh, beating James Duckworth in the second round. Them losing to Roger Federer. There, there's been guys that have been competitive in this tournament. Sam Stosa was a little bit disappointing losing to Coco Vandeweghe. Six two six love in what her a match. Name. Cracking yeah. name. Yeah, she's actually got a... It's a bit of a bogey player for her the last three times she's played against her. So, disappointing, but Wimbledon never one of her strong events. So, hopefully she can bounce back and, and move forward uh, in the coming months. But Casey Delacqua did a, did a reasonable job. There's a good Aussie contingent there, yep. and hopefully we're moving in the right direction. I cannot see anyone beating Novak Djokovic or Serena Williams. We saw Serena v Venus on centre yeah. court last yep. night, which was an interesting dynamic for the 28th time in their career. <laughs> So uh, that was a good one to watch. So let's watch this second week with interest. We'll talk about the end results next week and see how those predictions went from last week. Let's quickly touch on uh, Floyd Mayweather. We've just seen news that Floyd Mayweather has been stripped of his WBO title that he won against Manny Pacquiao. Now, what, when I mention that, what is your first thought that comes into your head? Well, we both said drugs. Drugs, <laughs> that's right. We both, the first, first words uttered out of our mouth were drugs, drugs. but apparently not. He's no. Just... So it's a there's a $200,000 sanction fee that needs to be paid to the WBO to award him officially that title to his career. Now, Floyd Mayweather would have that literally in his back pocket. Yeah, I would have. And he's missed the deadline. We'd never have assumed that Floyd Mayweather lost a belt because of money. (laughs) That's for sure. I feel like he's. I feel like he's looked at it and gone, "Well, that that's irrelevant." He's probably making a point that. Yeah. What am I paying you two hundred grand for? When I won the fight. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so that that's actually been official. So the committee sat down and had a vote after he missed that (coughs) deadline. They've all voted that he would be stripped of that title. So big news. Uh, and maybe in tune with the Anthony Mundine open letter that he wrote to yeah, Floyd right. Mayweather to, uh, challenging him for that title. So we'll see how that one pans out. Now, let's come back in a second and we'll talk about NBA free agencies. Some massive, massive monetary values to some of these contracts. Which Joey so Ingles, in. eh? Joey Ingles signing this morning uh, for two years with uh, the Utah Jazz, where he did a great job last year. So great to see the two Aussies there, Dante and Joe Ingalls there for another couple of years. So we'll come back and talk about that in just a second. And in NBA free agency news, there's so many big signings. It's just been unbelievable. I'm going to rattle off some figures here. Some big players in the NBA that became free agents. And the thing that's massive at the moment is that there's a new salary cap coming in next year, the new TV rights deal. And these players are all opting out of their current deals to make sure they're on the open market come the salary cap increase. So we've got Anthony Davis five-year rookie extension for 143 million my word Kawhi Leonard re-signs with the San Antonio Spurs five years 90 million Damian Lillard Portland point guard five years 129 million rookie extension these are huge numbers then you go through the likes of you know for some of the lesser known players Damare Carroll who played a big role for Atlanta in the playoffs five year four years 60 million for a, a bit a part player, so you could argue. Wow. 
Brandon Knight, point guard who got traded to the Phoenix Suns last year, five years, seventy million. Kevin Love opted back in and signed with Cleveland, five years, one hundred and ten million. These are huge numbers. And then some of the the last few days, we've had Lamarcus Aldridge signing with the Spurs, David West signing in wow. what we think is a bargain deal on the rookie minimum, one point five million. That is a bargain for him. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, some of the some of the other names, JL, that have come to mind, and let's discuss these figures. These are astronomical numbers. Yeah, they are. The one that's a couple of stand out for me, Tristan Thompson, came out of absolute obscurity and had a blinder for the Cavs. Uh, in the postseason, five years for $80 million, which is great to see. The truth, Paul Pierce joins the Clippers three years, $10 million. Not entirely certain that he'll still be kicking on the other end of that three years, but adds a real touch of class to their side that's just been lacking a bit late in the preseason. So Small forward was where they really let themselves down last year, and, and Matt Barnes leaving and going to Charlotte, I think they've made a good play there. They've got Lance Stevenson in the trade for Barnes yep. to come off the bench, and then Paul Pierce. Just that experience. We saw his three-pointers in, in the playoffs. Uh, crucial yeah. moments just to go with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. But they've lost DeAndre Jordan, who is another one. He signed for a max deal at the Mavericks. Yeah, which I don't... Ooh, well, I'll get into this maybe at another time or maybe off air, but I, I don't begrudge the Clippers for not trying to match that deal. There's a, there's a player that's absolutely in his prime, and I think that's something that can quickly turn within a year or two. Um, they're going to save some money. A bit like they talk about the front rowers in the NRL sometimes. You can pay a guy that's seven foot two to stand under the rim and do half the job that he does um, and hope that he improves on the on the back end and maybe you're getting some output. So I don't begrudge them Jeez. for... That's, uh, I, I've, got a, I've got to challenge your thought process there because this guy, the, the, the Mavs GM has talked about him as being a potential shack of his generation. He has. Like and the building Mavs... the offense around him. He, he gets 20 rebounds a game. They want to make him a 20-point offensive player per game. To go with Dirk Nowitzki, Wes Matthews they've just signed, uh, you know, Chandler Parsons as well. This, this team is going to be a serious squad. Yep. Um, and, and this guy basically single-handedly got the Clippers to where they were in on the defensive end last year. He definitely definitely helped turn them around on the back of, you know, Chris Paul and... Uh, Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin on the offensive end. Made them definitely more of an all-round team, but... Being someone who watched a lot, a lot through uni, and saw Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard was a far superior version of what DeAndre Jordan is now, stats-wise. And three or four years later, he offers he offers very little for his team. He's still a presence under the rim, but it's something that I can see that players definitely go through cycles because it takes a lot out of you. You're a big guy, you're playing a lot of minutes, you're under the under the rim a lot of the time, copping a lot of knocks. I don't think it's something that I personally don't think it's something that's sustainable. But anyway. His, and, and his eyes are really close together, so <laughs> which well, maybe that, that's not sustainable either. As well, so look, the Mavs have signed him, and they're putting up a really decent roster in terms of their owner, Mark Cuban. He's absolutely certifiably insane. He's known for being one of the most outspoken own, owners in all of American sports. So it's good to see Is that, him. Uh, same bloke from Entourage fame, Mark Cuban. I don't watch Entourage, but I'm going to yeah. say yes. It is. Is he insane in Entourage? Yes. Yeah. Is. So. Um, it's no no doubt that he's he's come out with. I think Copes Copes t- texted me the other day and said about the Shaq stuff and what he, he wanted him to be a twenty twenty player this year. I quickly looked up his stats and I think he was fifteen and twelve last year. So um, Mark Cuban just coming out of his box there and making outlandish statements. Probably will predict that Robbie Farrow is going to play tomorrow night as well. Bros, <laughs> what are your thoughts on all of this? I'm oh, not a huge basketball fan, boys, but um, Goran Dragic is one that interests me. <laughs> Been uh, doing a bit five of research years, on him. Five years, 90 mil. A lot of coin there at Miami. Uh, very good player at the point. 
Um, rumour has it, rumour has it that he was a very good soccer player when he was younger, but was playing a bit of both and, and got hurt on the football pitch one uh, one day and his mum told him that he wasn't allowed to play That's anymore, it. so he kept going with basketball, which um, wow. it's obviously That's, worked out beautifully for that? him. Well, <laughs> I'll keep my sources very close very close to my chest, but let's just say PlayStation might have something to do with it. <laughs> 2K15 and a recent purchase, no doubt. Uh, just some other names we'll, we'll rattle off there. Tyson Chandler to the Phoenix Suns, four years, $52 million. I think that's a, a very good signing. He's Yes, he is in the Dwight Howard-esque uh, phase of his career, but he can really add an inside presence there for them. And, and with their two point guards, Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight, they're going to be a pretty serious side. Some of the other names that, that are coming out over the recent times, LeBron is the one that is held off at the moment. He wants to make sure that all of his chips have aligned and it, they really portray him as the GM of that side. And No doubt he will want the people to sign in the right place and on the dotted line he wants Tristan Thompson in particular. But no doubt we'll see LeBron sign a one-year deal to make himself available on that open market next year. Of interest to Australians, Joe Ingalls has re-signed this morning for... A reported 4.5 million over two Oof. seasons with the Utah Jazz did a fantastic season. Good on him. Good did on him. a fantastic job in his rookie season. One of the great guys. Uh, his wife plays netball. Uh, spends a lot of time with uh, Kim, my wife, and yeah, he's a great fella. So good on him. Great to see so many Aussies playing in the playoffs. Not only just in the NBA, but to have two guys, Matthew Delvadova and Andrew Bogut, playing in the championship series. It really caught the the interest of Australians, you know, the general public that don't normally watch the NBA. Yeah, it did. It was interesting to see it on the news pretty much every other night, hearing these the news presenters that are obviously talking about a lot more controversial stuff, talking about uh, Matthew Dellavedova um, and his efforts against Steph Curry in the finals. Now it was great for the imagination of the Australian people to be caught, and hopefully, um, as we all oh, well, Copes and I know because we watch a lot of it, but Roars, I'm sure now that you've got. Uh, 2K15. Um, hopefully, <laughs> NBA catches on here a bit more in Australia. Yeah, right. definitely, definitely has excited my interest the last few weeks in it. Seeing the Aussie guys over there doing well, and not only those guys, Paddy Mills as well, and Dante Exum and Joe Ingles and these sorts of guys. There's lots over there now. Uh, reminds me of the Luke Longley, Shane Hill days. Um, well, that's how I got into following the Timberwolves was Shane Hill playing with Kevin Garnett and, and watching him nail three-pointers from everywhere. So Yeah, so let's hope it continues. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get on to what, something you are very interested in, Rawls, and that is some transfers. And because Liverpool have been extremely active They've for one off busy. season. They haven't left it to the last couple of hours like they have the <laughs> last few years and missed out on all their big targets. So... Yeah, there's been a few already done done deals in the Premier League. Um, some big ones of note, Peter Cech from Chelsea to Arsenal. He obviously wasn't getting a game there. Behind uh, Courtois, who is the number one keeper at Chelsea, he's moved across town to uh, the rivals in the Gunners. Falcao, one of your mates there, who was on loan at Manchester United last year, he's he's made another loan deal from Monaco to Chelsea for this season. Um, and good luck to him because he was a shadow of himself last year. As, as a United fan, I was really optimistic, thought they could turn that into a permanent deal. Maybe it was because he was behind uh, you know, Van Persie and Rooney and, and some of the other guys, but... You know, Diego Costa is going to be playing every game, and it's you know the Drogba role that's going to be for Falcao this year. It's going to be the games that they need to win in the cups, uh, in the Champions League that that he's going to really play his part, or against the away at Stoke. 
you know, it'll be that type of role for him, no doubt. Yeah, that's right. I think Mourinho's obviously um, got his eye on him and has said publicly that he thinks he can turn him into what he what he used to be and fulfil his potential. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes about that. Uh, other ones we've got, um, speaking of Man U, Tom Cleverley's left. He's gone to Everton, which will be, be good for him and good for English football as well, that he gets a bit more game time there. Um, one of those one of those boys that he... Uh, that they held on to in favour of Paul Pogba. Yes, yeah. we'll get to Paul Pogba later. But, <laughs> not um, a great decision. No, not, probably not their best. And there's, I think they let Anderson go this year too. It was another yeah. one they hold, held on to. Uh, James Milner's gone from Man City to Liverpool on a free transfer, which is a good pick-up for them in a sort of a replacement role for Steven Gerrard. Uh, and Liverpool have also picked up uh, a Brazilian. Oh um, goodness, mate. The ne- I can see on yeah, your it's all Liverpool, mate. The next three things are they from are. Liverpool. And we'll, we'll move on. Roberto Firmino. It's quite yeah. a big signing, th- about around thirty million pounds um, from Hoffenheim. And Nathaniel Klein has come from Southampton, uh, another really one like. of the Southampton production line to to roll into the Reds. Let's hope he has a bit more a uh, bit more luck than Dijan Lovren had last year at the back for the Reds. Um, another one for Man U is Memphis Depay, a young uh, winger, exciting prospect. We saw a bit of him in the World Cup from PSV Eindhoven. He's moved over to Man United and He's I'm sure you're excited. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that we've been lacking the last couple of years has been that real presence on the outside. We had Ronaldo there for a long time. Uh, Ashley Young was touted as the next guy that would take over that and towards the back end of last year he did come good and play some good games. Antonio Valencia on the right-hand side, but no real forward presence that nails sort of 10, 15 goals a season. Uh, and Danny Welbeck maybe sort of fitted into that role when he wasn't playing up front by himself. But this guy has some serious pace. He's got flair. He's got that attacking prowess that... that He's exciting, ev- definitely. Yeah, and, and people like Eden Hazard that, that Chelsea has or Mehmet Ozil and Cazorla that Arsenal have... Um, you know, and Sterling and Coutinho that Liverpool have, mm. uh, along with the other teams in the Premier League, they all have those kind of players, and hopefully this guy can live up to that expectation. I hope so. I don't think he's the finished product yet, but I think in a few years' time he definitely could be um, one of the best players in the world. So. Yeah. Uh, just a few rumours. So they're the done deals at the moment, and a few rumours going around are, are guys like Sergio Ramos to Manchester oh. United, who I'm sure you'll be excited with. There's rumours of a five-year deal for him. And, wow. And um, Real Madrid's come out and said the only place he'll go is Manchester United if he goes anywhere. So that would be a huge signing, not only for Man United, but for the Premier League in general. Raheem Sterling from Liverpool. There's still rumours about him going to Manchester City this year for a fee of around £50 million, pounds, which is um, Stuff's which is coming massive. out about him having a clause in there that he gets a cut of 10%. I saw that, yeah. It'll be around yeah, £4 million if he, um, yeah. if he makes that um, KG signing. Boy from him. He's done well there. <laughs> A couple of other ones is Paul Pogba, as we mentioned before. He, he was at Manchester United many years ago, allowed to go to, to Juventus on a, for a very small fee, and, and now he's one of the best best going around in the world in the midfield, and he's commanding a fee of around £70 million. Pounds. Wow. So that's a not the greatest bit of business for Manchester United. Um, they're in the running to signing back, actually, so <laughs> that, would, that would be even poor. So it, it looks like either one of the Manchesters will get him or possibly Real Madrid. So we'll have to... Wait and see with that one. Yeah, one signing that was confirmed this morning, I don't know whether you saw this one, was Arda Turan to Barcelona uh, for £24 million, apparently. That, that's a big signing, given that they're on a transfer ban. Yeah, very interesting, that one. <laughs> the, uh, the old Barcelona <laughs> transfer ban. They've made a few, a few signings already. They so. signed Suarez in that last year. Yeah, that was a different band. So this is a new band because they broke the old band. So 
<laughs> this one, Arda Turan can't actually play for them until January. So they're allowed to sign players, they just can't register them until the new year. Well, so he's just going to train with them up until... I don't so that's, know. that's yeah. halfway through the season. It is. Extraordinary. For, for someone who, for Atletico Madrid, who were you know, a top three team in the Premier, Premier League, uh, they made Champions League every year, they won the Europa League a couple of years ago, made the final of the Champions League, Yep. You know, and this guy is one of their go. star players. And whether there is a clause there that they can sell him back to them in the next month if the deal isn't interested by them. Like, <laughs> uh, it's a very weird situation. So there might even be the possibility he goes out on loan somewhere for that six months. Yeah, that know. might make sense. Mm. But very good. All right, that'll do us for the sports news for the moment. Stick around after the break. We're going to talk all things AFL and AFL Supercoach. But you can find us on at bringthemustard on Twitter and bringthemustard.com.au on our website. All right, lads, time to get into AFL and AFL Supercoach stuff, but let's start with the big news of the week that was Gary Ablett, the great man, the greatest, called the greatest of all time by Scott Pendlebury in a tweet this week, and I don't think he's far off the mark. This guy, uh, almost 12 months to the day until he came back into the side, he was everywhere on the weekend. You guys both watched that game. Talk us through. It took him a little bit of time to build into it. Yeah, super coach wise, he's improved his score in each quarter. But uh, the Suns had a massive win. They haven't looked like winning in the last, you know, sort of seven weeks. What's the impact of Gary Ablett? How good is he? And what were your thoughts when you watched him in that comeback game? He was so good. Uh, Roz was about to say something, but I cut him off. He was so <laughs> good. Uh, that I, just the way that I could hear the commentators and the coaches and stuff speak about him before the game, I had a quick look at the odds and they were paying about, oh, must have been close to $4 for the win. So I got on the minus a few and text you guys to say, uh, get on them, minus five and a half for six, $6 a pop. And it was an absolute shoo-in. Just the presence of having him around the group and around the club, even on the back of such a tumultuous week with the Harley Bennell stuff, you just, you can tell the impact that he has around the club. and the good things were going to happen for them on the weekend. He started pretty slowly himself, but he was sort of in and around the traps, just adding to the, I don't know, the team environment, added the, gave confidence to the rest of the team because they were killing it before he was really involved in the game. And about halfway through the second quarter, he, he looked to return to his prior self and ended up having 31 touches, kicked a couple of goals, 11 clearances, 10 score involvements, and was an absolute weapon. Just these clean hands around the ruck was something that I think about when you think about Pendlebury, you think about Fife, the way they, uh, they're classy around the ruck, Dane Beams. Time. Uh, yeah. They have time. They seemingly have time when there's 15 guys around them Sam and Mitchell, they can see yeah. the guy that's open. Yep. Uh, uh, that was the big difference for me. Fantastic to see him back, obviously. Uh, we spoke a bit about it last week, about him potentially coming back and what a difference it would make. And I think we said something like even if he's... He's the sub next week. He's going to make a huge difference to, to the Gold Coast and the confidence that the other players have around him. Um, and as you said, he started up forward. And, and even the difference he makes to the other team structures, I think because they really have to plan for him and, and yeah. take some focus to him, which takes a lot of focus off the other players in the centre. So he's going to be a huge inclusion for them, obviously, for the next few weeks. And let's hope he can get through the rest of the season, have a cracking finish to the season. Um, it'd, be, it'd be great for all AFL footy fans to watch. Yep. Absolutely. The Suns, no doubt, will be a bogey side for some of the guys looking to run towards the finals if he can stay fit. What a player he is, and hopefully we can see 
the bald bandit as he as he looks. Whenever you look at the field and you see that number nine shirt and the bald head, it seems to be a classy possession. So watch out those teams playing against the Suns. All right, let's discuss the match review panel. Some controversial uh, rulings this week. Jay Schultz, the first one we'll talk about. Rawls, I'll throw to you. Bryce Gibbs's tackle was a sling tackle. Uh, he got two week suspension. The theory being that he grasped both arms down the side of the player. Robbie Gray, it was. Yep. Through it, and when he immobilised his arms, then it's deemed that Robbie Gray can't protect himself. And then when Gibbs threw his head into the ground, which caused him to be concussed, that's called a slinger tackle. He then gets taken to the match review panel. They decided to give him two weeks. Jay Schultz, he's got off. It looked a very similar, if not worse, tackle in my opinion. How did you see it? Yeah, very similar to you. I thought they were very similar tackles. In both both occasions, the player who was getting tackled couldn't defend himself. Made contact with the head and, and both guys went off and were off for the rest of the game. So it, it had a big impact on the game and on the side that was out there as well. So I think it, it definitely deserved a similar punishment than as Bryce Gibbs got. And what about, let's discuss this tweet that we saw yeah. last night. And Bryce Gibbs, good on him for, I, I tend to like players that, you know, he's not crossing any lines, but he's speaking what he feels. And, and I think that's what Twitter's for. And, you know, Bryce Gibbs <laughs> tweeted last night when he heard the match review panel result. And I, we're obviously assuming that this is what it was about. But he just tweeted, I'm confused, dot, dot, dot. Then we see young Port Adelaide midfielder or <laughs> halfback Sam Colhoun at tweet at B Gibbsy for Bryce Gibbs two actions pal yeah. in response well, to that I and love then, how you're putting some tone into that but yeah well yeah. That, he leaves it open to interpretation he does and then uh, young Carlton player Zach Tui got on board and tweeted both of those two guys with a kidding yourself with inverted commas <laughs> around the pal. Yeah, very uh, very good banter there. I, I, we had a look just earlier to see whether they play each other again this year, the um, Carlton Jeez, and Port, but unfortunately they don't. They've already had their match for the year, and that would have been good to watch, to see a bit of banter happening out there with the, um, the young fellow. I think he only played his second or third game the other day. So he's, but I, th- uh, I think the underlying message here is the Bryce Gibbs tweet. Well, the reason it's relevant to our conversation here is that Bryce Gibbs himself is the one that was supposed to learn from his actions by this suspension, yet he is seeing the tackle and thinking, how is that any different to what I did when I got suspended? Yeah, and I think everyone sees the the mixed messages that come across in the way the match review panels dealt with both of them. And unfortunately, um, that's not going to be good going forward because players won't know what's what's legal and what's not, what they can get away with. Absolutely. All right, let's discuss the next one, which is a little bit controversial, Toby Green and the spitting gate, I guess it's been termed the the last little while. JL, did you see any of this? And and what's your take on the fact that he's got off? You know, and, okay, he's giving me the... No, 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 no. I I was watching this game and and I saw it at the time and I thought, Jesus... In live motion, he spatted him there as he got up, and then they they showed the replay, and he definitely did. Um, so for towards the, the NRL heads, and even I'm a bit of an AFL head, but didn't see it. Run us through exactly what happened because I haven't seen much on it to be fair in any of the the news or anything. So well, he gave a, he gave a free kick away to Anthony Miles, I think it was. It yep. might have been a high tackle. As they were getting up, Miles sort of got up last and was walking away from him, and Green 
spat in his direction. I don't know whether he actually got him. Miles didn't blow up or anything like that, but definitely looked like he was trying to... Just the derogatory action of yeah. spitting at someone, and it's not mm. the image that the AFL want in their game, and then letting him off with that, I think it sends a message to players, well, as long as you don't spit on them, mm. then good luck to you. But, yeah, uh, very you know, interesting, again, with the... I mean, I spit all the time when I speak. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've noticed. Bit. I'm just wiping some of my iPad at the moment. But, no, I think it, I think it's one that should be wiped out of, uh, you know, nice the pun. game. Yeah, excuse the pun. But, uh, you know, it's not a nice thing. It's same as, you know, if you were ever to see a fast bowler in a batsman's face and spit at them, you know, it's just not nice. Even spitting at the ground, spitting in people's hands and, and wiping it on hands, it's just not a nice look for the game itself. So, uh, anyway, I, I think we've discussed that yeah. enough. Let's move on. Let's discuss with our resident injury guru, JL, uh, a couple of relevant ones over the last week, but uh, Jared Ruffhead, one I'll bring to the table. I own him in Supercoach, but uh, <laughs> he's had a melanoma in his lip. Uh, he had that cut, cut out and test done last week. He rejoined the squad uh, at training yesterday uh, down at Hawthorne practice, but he's out indefinitely. But no doubt you've got plenty more news. Yeah, I, it's not on the list here, but I'm pretty sure you've got a private investigator down there on Jared Ruffhead, tracking his every move to see if he's going to play for you in Supercoach this week. But uh, kicking off the injury report, we've got a couple of dogs who look like they're going to, may or may not miss this week. We've got Dale Morris with a, bro- a broken jaw. It looks like they're Looking at the report here, they look like they're trying to get him up for the game at Gold Coast um, this weekend, which is touch and go. I don't think I'd want to be running around with um, with a broken jaw in the game. Maybe he could don the uh, don the helmet like his mate there, Caleb Daniel. <laughs> uh, Toby McLean looks like he's uh, done his AC joint, I believe, um, late in the game and, and will be out as well. Can I just say, isn't it yes. funny that there's blokes everywhere in NRL running around with headgear on, <laughs> yeah, but this one guy wears it in AFL and all of a sudden you're like, oh, jeez, what the hell is he doing <laughs> yeah. out there? He looks like a little thumbtack, to be fair, a little fella. <laughs> Gary Rowan uh, looks to miss three to four weeks with a, a bad hamstring strain on, on the game at Thursday night out there at the SCG. Yeah, it's disappointing. He was killing it too the other night before he, he was um, before he have to go off with yeah. his hammy. He's a little bit rocks and diamonds, but he he's... But you can tell how far he's come given yeah. that this is big news. Uh, yes. In past years, he's a bit part player, yep. a sub, or you know, yep. comes in when there's an injury off halfback. But I don't, I don't think the only. Swans were like... And again, I'm, I don't know John Longmire all that well, but I don't <laughs> think the Swans, um, he's a... You know, he's a, a really crucial player for them in terms of being consistent. But what he does do is adds a little bit of flair to every match that he plays in. And just, he, the, when the Swans need him, he finds a good five or ten minutes sometimes and occasionally he puts a really good game together and they're an absolute shoo-in in those particular He's just really improved. I don't know if you agree, Rawls, but he's just improved his kicking efficiency a lot. Uh, <laughs> and he... Like yeah, off half to play at half back, he used to play as a small kicks, forward. There were some kicks last um, year where he'd missed the target by a good thirty meters. And his run off half back is just phenomenal. Him yeah, and Lewis Jetta. Yeah. Uh, he always showed signs when he first came into the side, but having that injury with the broken leg, I think it's taken him some time to sort of get some confidence back in it. And now, he, as you said, he's kicking beautifully. He's kicking his set shots for goal beautifully. Yeah. The thing he gives that uh, the side is that extra pace, as you yep. said, with Lewis Jetta there. They can have those two points of focus with a bit more extra pace on the outside he's a strong overhead mark as well yep. so yeah, he, he, he's got a lot of um, a lot of upside to him he does definitely uh Paddy Cripps is a, an interesting one the boys and I will argue over a potential rising star winner for this year but he hurt himself late again late in the game the other day super coach wise and our YouTube boys were hoping he'd come back on it looks to be in a moon boot and he's a 50 50 chance against Richmond on Friday night so maybe the short turnaround might be against him there if I was a betting man 
Ted Rigid, uh, Ted Rid- yeah, Ridges, Ted Richards. Uh, we'll go through the usual concussion protocol after that tackle we were just talking about. Um, we'll see how he pulls up later in the week, but uh, never a good one, as we know. Um, and just a few more. Jordan Ruff had, had an unusual back spasms the other day um, when he was subbed out, so we'll see how he goes this week. Another one there for the Dogs. Isaac Smith had a scratch in his eye against Collingwood, which is an unusual one as well, but should be fine to play. Rumours that he'll he'll be playing with a patch over his eye uh, on Sunday against Fremantle Boys, so we'll see how that look goes. (laughs) That would be extravagant. (laughs) Vicious rumours coming out of the SCG that he will play with an eye patch. Oh, dear. All right, let's just top off the news with the rising star of the week, and that was Jack Loney in the St Kilda... Massive win. That was great win. Oh, geez, they play well. Imagine being an Essendon fan, having paid money to go and watch that. Maybe we should get Cal Cal Ferguson on the phone. (laughs) See how he's feeling at the moment. Yeah, well, I know he's in our Supercoach League and he'd be in strife at the moment. Uh, But yeah, Jack Loney looks an absolute star. It's a rightly titled Rising Star nomination, but uh, he has a serious look forward, and uh, I guess he's a serious prospect. For St Kilda moving forward, you know, in what is a building side with a quality midfield. Yeah, he looks a good little player, Jack Loney, and he's he's done a really good job sitting at the feet there of uh, Bruce and Nick Rewalt so far this year. Had obviously had his breakout game on the weekend, but hopefully that spurs him to, to good things for the rest of the year and can be a really good pick for for St Kilda for years to come. He he was drafted at 41 this year actually, so he's quite far down in the draft yep. along with uh, another guy that you. Uh, noticed over the weekend, which was Caleb Daniel with the headgear on. You can't miss him. Uh, he was at 46. So it's good to see that some of these guys drafted a bit further down have, have taken the step before a few of the guys who were drafted higher up as well and are doing really well. Absolutely. All right, let's get into some of the results of the round. The Thursday night match here at the SCG was a huge one. Sydney getting home in a tight game over Port Adelaide, but they were in control really the entire match. Uh, without Buddy Franklin, uh, the forward line actually really gelled Quite well, I thought. Reed played a really good uh, part up forward. And 94-84 was the final score. Josh Kennedy played a huge role. And Dan Hanabry, how good a year has he had? Averaging around 31 disposals a game this year. He's uh, having a phenomenal year. I think it was the difference was those midfielders, especially in the last quarter, where it did did get a little bit tight there for a minute, that uh, the gut running of guys like Kieran Jack, Dan Hanabry, was was the difference for the Swans. Absolutely. So, Goods, three goals one. Reed three goals one. Stepping up in the absence of Tippett and Franklin. So, how good is it to be able to call on those sort of guys, the calibre of those sort of guys? You know, that is what makes the Swans the Swans. Yeah, and I think the, the midfielders rotated forward as well. So, you saw Kennedy kick a few. Uh, Luke Parker was up there quite a lot as well. So, I think the good thing about having those guys out is that there wasn't the, the one focal point that every midfielder gets and thinks where's Buddy or where's Tippett they had five, five or six options to kick to and they picked the best one rather yeah. than kicking to uh, to the same two all the time nine individual goal kickers we're just being told here by Statsman Layla <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next game of the round was also a good clash and the one that really uh, got me in terms of the, the emotion of the round the, the Phil Walsh tragedy that happened in this last week the AFL I just want to say from me personally I was really impressed with how the league handled it uh, you know Paul Marsh the AFL Players Association boss has come across from cricket uh, where he you know played a big part in all, all of these similar kind of tragedies and, and difficulties that the players come across but what about the touching finale to this game at the MCG 
Hawthorne winning that one, 101 to 91. But the coming together, arm in arm, Hawthorne Collingwood, Hawthorne Collingwood, including the coach, in that centre circle, that that was as touching a moment as I've I've seen on a sporting field. I think. Yeah, it was great to see all weekend with with that sort of tribute there to Phil Walsh. The, the players can sort of put the game aside after a game, and you even saw in that last uh, with the St Kilda huge win over Essendon. They all got out there. James Heard, the coach, was out there as well, and and they just remember that it's just a game, um, and that was the biggest thing that came out of the weekend. There was no celebrating, nothing like that. It was yeah, it was all yeah, obviously remembering such a great a great guy and a, one of the. Um, one of the legends of AFL, really. Absolutely, and the the great thing on the back of that, and just something I want to talk about quickly, is that the Adelaide Geelong game was cancelled. Each go, each uh, team got given two points in in the premiership race. But the great thing was at three twenty p.m. when kickoff was supposed to happen or tip off was supposed to happen yesterday, first bounce at the Adelaide Oval, there was thirty thousand people. Mm. Adelaide fans, Port Adelaide fans, who streamed into that ground with the banners around their their neck and the, and the the scarves and the the signs, and they all left it there. The the tributes to Phil Walsh, the amount of people that were in there to observe a minute silence, and then you know watch the Oz kick kids run around on the ground. How special is that? Yeah, as as we said, the people of Adelaide are fantastic fans and. And they love their their home teams more than anything. They'll get out and watch anything, but they absolutely love their home teams. And and it was great to see Port Adelaide fans there as well as Adelaide fans. That um, really topped it off for me. And and credit to the AFL and to the um, Adelaide Oval for opening that up and, and allowing people out there to um, yeah to show their respects. Absolutely. All right. The Saturday games: Richmond getting home over GWS seventy eight to sixty nine in a quite quite a close contest GWS led for quite a while in that game Gold Coast as we mentioned with Gary Ablett returning 125 played North Melbourne 70 a big one for them up at Metricon Stadium and one to watch for the rest of the season Western Bulldogs getting home over Carlton in a close game 64-53 and West Coast winning 114-60 to over Melbourne in what was a pretty easy win the Sunday matches Two pretty easy wins also. Uh, St Kilda, 162-52. to 52. That is one of the, the biggest wins, the biggest upsets of the season. Scrutiny over James Hurd's position. Roars, what do you what's your take on, is Hurd the right man to take them forward? Uh, you know, and, and how do they get out of what has been an awful season for them in terms of the scandals, you know, the injuries they've had to deal with. Joe Watson on the weekend was very, un, you know, subpar. Dyson Heppel was probably the only one that really stood up. Adam yeah, Cooney subbed like, off after after three quarters. Looks like Job's playing a little bit injured at the moment, which um, which is not ideal for him either. In terms of James Hurd, like he obviously did a great job when he first came in, but I think with all this Asada stuff and and, and all that surrounding the club now, he he just doesn't seem to have the players at the moment. And uh, and whether there's things behind the scenes that we we don't know about. I think it's probably probably time for Essendon to move on and uh, move forward. And they've got a good list there. They've got some really good players, as you've just mentioned, and they're a lot better than what they showed on the weekend. Absolutely. The last game of the round was Fremantle 84 to 48, and there it was being dubbed as the the reply, the right of reply from Nat Fife as the leading player in the AFL. JL talking about Nat Fife and 
you know, probably Scott Pendlebury, Gary Ablett as the premier players in the competition. How would you rank those three? After seeing what Gary pulled out on the weekend and probably the ease in which he did it, he's by far away number number one for me over Fife. Fife is a phenomenal talent. He's a and Pendles is a, like they're that big-bodied guys that can run all day, take hard contested marks overhead. They look good playing. Where Gaz is reminds me, of, you know, him and Selwood are the little guys, the clean hands around the ball. Um, for me, that's that's the person that I like to see, the little guy that gets in there, quick hands, as opposed to these guys that sort of come in and bully other people around around the ball. So for me, it's uh, oh, I don't even know that Pendles is three to be fair, but definitely those other guys, Ablett one and. Um, who you got in who third? You put, who you putting in front uh, of Pendlebury? Oh, I like Paddy Dangerfield a lot. I like Paddy Dangerfield a hell of a lot. I think he, on his day, I think he's far better than Pendles. I think Pendles is a bit more consistent, but mm. I, I like I Paddy Dangerfield. Is, I think that's an outlandish statement, but anyway, that is your opinion. Uh, what about you, Ross? What what way would you rank that top three? I'd uh, definitely be Ablett first still, but Fife is catching. You've got to think, he's only played 100 games, and if you're looking at that game on the weekend, it was in the wet um, as well. And to be fair, he had 27 disposals. Yeah, I still think he played relatively well. Like, he, yeah. he, he's still a level above the rest of the pack. Yep, he, he's still a very good player. And uh, the, he probably wasn't as clean as he's been. And that's that's the, the fact that the thing was a mud pit. So um, it'd be interesting to see him again this week in the dry. And, and I'm sure he'll turn it on. But uh, Fife's definitely catching Ablett, I think, in my mind. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's talk about the table and the way it's shaping up. Not long to go in the season, but Fremantle out in front, two wins clear on 48 points from West Coast on 40 and Sydney on 40. Fourth position, Hawthorne, who have moved in front after that win of Collingwood, 36 points. Fifth is 32, Collingwood, Richmond, Western Bulldogs. And in eighth position, we've got Adelaide on 30 points, having played one less match. So where do you see... You know, is there any teams that you see pushing up into that bracket, or are there any teams that you see rapidly declining? Well, I think we mentioned it a few weeks ago. The GWS are going the wrong way. Uh, they put in a great effort there for for three quarters on um, on the weekend and couldn't quite get over the line. But I think that that's probably as good as they're going to get for this year and and probably slip out of the eight. Ones who can come in, I'm not I'm not so sure. I know Geelong's probably one that can uh, with Bartel hopefully back this week. Um, had, had 30 disposals in the reserves on the weekend, uh, kicked two goals as well. So <laughs> he's certainly one to watch out for. Definitely. Um, uh, the thing I'm looking for this week is a huge game, Frio against Hawthorne on Sunday. That's going to really tell us where Hawthorne's at. And also, Frio's had a few lapses the last few weeks with some close games against some not so... Oh, not good teams if you look at the uh, look at the ladders. So it'll be interesting to see where they're really sitting. They've got to challenge a, a really informed Hawthorne. Yeah, for my, that game for mine, I think it's going to say more about Fremantle than what it is about Hawthorne. I think a lot of a lot of people in the competition know where Hawthorne are going to be in six or eight weeks' time. For me, Fremantle, I don't know where they're going to be in um, six weeks' time. Come the end of the year, they're playing really well. They're doing enough to get the win. But I, I think they've been far from convincing over the last five or six weeks against some teams that they've played. So um, if I was a betting man, I'd be looking at them to maybe get um, close to that 60 mark and then maybe see um, West Coast, Sydney and Hawthorne really close the gap on them and maybe even have them slip out of that top two spot. Yeah, I don't think that's too outlandish to, to talk about that because Frio, they like <laughs> resting players throughout the year and, and if they don't do that against the right opposition or 
you know, one or two of those midfielders like Lockie Neal drops off yep. from how well they have been playing or Barlow, you know, that could make a significant difference. So uh, stuff, stuff to watch out for and, and uh, this top eight is certainly taking shape. All right, let's discuss the all-important Supercoach weekend. Oh, and let's not. It's all important this week, isn't it? Yeah, really? it is. It is. Because I have something to brag about <laughs> in about time. Uh, so the, the weekend, we had the bi-structured uh, scoring system with the cancellation of the Adelaide and Geelong game. So, Raws, for the You Buddy Beauties, we had 2,000 points on the dot, and it takes you back to 913th overall. Still in the hunt, I reckon. Uh, you know, there's a, lo- a long way to go. Uh, you know, I think four rounds of head-to-head, but still seven rounds of scores to come in. I think you're still well within reach. How'd the boys go on the weekend? Yeah, very disappointed. Uh, the, the Thursday night game, I thought I got away with pretty well with a couple of Swans boys, Robbie Gray and Ollie Wines, going well, and it just went downhill from there. Um, yeah, very disappointed to only get the 2,000. I didn't VC Pendlebury, which a lot of people did, which cost me, obviously. Um, stuck with Fife, and, and he didn't have his um, usual 120, which or 130, sorry, <laughs> he's averaging at the moment. So that was the disappointment. Um, to throw in... Ivan marriage on top of that, yeah. getting yeah. suspended. Well, I don't know if he's accepted it yet, but he um, is facing a one match. Yeah, big chance he'll accept that one match. So I'm going to have to make burner trade there to uh, to upgrade my ruck. We'll I'll discuss that or a donut. So we'll see how it goes. But okay, and what about who brought the mustard for you this week, mate? Well, you have to go with Pendlebury. I know everyone will have him, but 184 is a fantastic effort. He played a blinding game against one of the best sides in the comp, and I think we've spoken about it before that he he just. Uh, lives for those sorts of games, playing against the best, and he showed why. Absolutely. And what about who left it at home? Well, we could really take <laughs> our pick here. Uh, I'm going to give it to to two of my defenders. Actually, they're going to get it jointly. Who um, are both in there as sort of my premium defenders? In Josh Gibson, he made a, a stinking 52 as Josh makes his little uh, yep. stinky face there. <laughs> and uh, Jeremy McGovern only had 46 as well for the West Coast against Melbourne. So those like with really, a goal. So yeah, yeah, he's definitely playing injured. Yeah. yeah, that cork that he got a couple of weeks ago. I feel like he's not challenging at the contest like he normally does. Uh, certainly not taking the intercept marks that he normally does. So, which is what you need for the for your super coach. Yeah. So that's that's hugely disappointing. With Gibson, Frawley's out at the moment for the Hawks, so that means he has to go to the second tall and and play really he role. can't just play in the hole and take all those intercept marks either. So that's uh, really curtailed my year at the moment. I'm hoping for some good luck this weekend. I think the other one that affects Gibson that you guys both haven't mentioned was the return of Grant Birchall playing as that loose man off half back yep. and, and he's almost like the quarterback of that side he, he really delivers the ball beautifully so maybe Gibson isn't required as much in that role for those rebound 50s and intercept marks. True. Something to look out for. Anyway, Morton, what about your boys this weekend Morton's Mud Crabs, 2014 was the score, their total rank overall rank is 3,398th Still be happy with that? Still be happy. We, we stopped the run of um, increases up the rankings. I think it was about 10 weeks in a row and dropped back 400 spots this week, um, unfortunately. So it was a pretty dour weekend. Uh, I knew knew early on that I wasn't going to get a massive score after not VCing Pendles either. I've just got absolutely no faith in him, uh, unfortunately. And it <laughs> came to bite me on the weekend. I hate those blokes <laughs> that average 119. Yeah, yeah, me too. And yeah, got ended up with 2014, so it wasn't ideal. And what about who brought the mustard for you, mate? 
Uh, a new a new member to Morton's Mud Crabs at 580 grand. He was last week. Lee Montagna um, had a blinder on the weekend. I, I purely, I could have chosen pretty much anyone in the comp last last week. Um, looking at it was between him and Armitage pretty much, and I know Armitage had a blinder on the weekend, but I think Lee Montagna was averaging half a disposal more per game. So on that knowledge alone, <laughs> I brought him in, and he he's, he managed to have a good game. He got 133, um, exactly what I was looking for. Um, besides Pendle, was a close second was the European soccer star Ryan Griffin, who's gone uh, back-to-back 110-plus scores, and he's slowly uh, eking back that money that he lost for me at the start of the year. Start certainly paying off holding on to him because he, he has turned out a few good scores in a row, playing off half-back. Yep. He looks to be, you know, he looks to be finding a real role there for himself. With Callum Ward and Jack Steele in the middle, they look like good players, and also with that horrible haircut. Uh, <laughs> the one thing with Montagna... Yes. He's averaging about 115 or, or so. Very few scores under 100, and that's mostly been in losses. Yes. Big yep. win on the weekend, and they all of a sudden the three guns, Stephen, Montagna, and Armitage, all go 120 plus. plus yep. So if St Kilda can start stringing together some wins, you know these three could go through the roof. That's so right. The 105s and 110s turn into 120s and 125s. The 110s. The 110s. <laughs> Apologies. It's been uh, a long day. Uh, <laughs> and what about who left it at home for you, mate? Who left it at home? Oh, it's got to be BJ Brendan Goddard. Uh, looking here, oh, an yeah. average of 94.92. Oh, that was tough to watch. And a big 3-0. Oh, it wasn't too hard to watch because at some points I didn't even see if he was on the field. So <laughs> at least I didn't have to watch him uh, have a dozen clangers. But I'll tell uh, you who it would have been harder <laughs> to watch was from him against his former team yes well that, yeah that's exactly right ouch watching from the other end of the ground as they kicked uh, 30 speaking goals speaking of a dozen was. clangers did yes. you VC Dusty this week oh mate so many clangers I was so sitting there I. with my <laughs> poor wife I made her watch the game with me and I clicked it on he had the three times he touched the ball in a row he kicked two out in the full from a stoppage and then turned one over that was brilliant to watch on the back of uh, Pendles the night before yeah, so 28 disposals for Dusty he had a great game. I VC'd him too he yeah. had 112 super coach points but he had 10 clangers he had 10 clangers so he's lost 40 and two points. frees against that's uh, that's criminal. It yeah, is criminal both he and Dane Beams scored around the 110 mark 115 Dane Beams had 9 clangers yeah, that was in the wet though Dusty yeah, had no excuses. Uh, all right, let's discuss my boys. And, geez, I was happy Jeez. for the first time this season. I haven't been embarrassed about my score. So uh, with the 18 uh, scores, I got 2,257, 164th overall for the week, which I was pretty happy with. Uh, and it took me up 4,000 spots in the overall rankings. So up to 4,780th and relatively happy about that. So the... <laughs> what are you blokes laughing about? I've just just done some uh, research, mate, on your little comment earlier and Dane Beams is nine clangers. There was only three, mate. But what was it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you might have been looking at clearances. But yeah, <laughs> or goals. Maybe, <laughs> just, maybe just goals. Oh, well, Brute. Sorry, Beams. Sorry. It's a good effort, though, anyway. Uh, well, he's he's in my side, and he's one of the candidates for bringing the mustard last week. <laughs> so no, I actually looked. Uh, I was telling you boys before I bored last night, and looking through uh, consistency of scores and, and amount of scores over a hundred five is just yeah. ridiculous. But Dane Beams, he's he had a ninety in round two, and since then has been over a hundred, and a lot of the time over a hundred and ten yep. since. So I'm I'm an ecstatic owner, and sorry Beamsy, I'll take <laughs> it back. 
The, the person who did bring the mustard for me was my vice-captain, that was Scott Pendlebury. Uh, turning into my captain, 368 points is just phenomenal in a week where the people that missed him uh, really hurt him, particularly the guys that, like you, Ross, had to captain Fife towards the end of the week. The other candidates in there, there was quite a few this week, which was great, uh, but <laughs> Kennedy, Josh yes. Kennedy, uh, seems to have hit his straps. He's playing in the middle almost exclusively now. He's getting the hard ball and he's finding the targets with the kick. So 143 points from him. I was ecstatic with that. The people who left it at home... Yeah, Not many in 2,300, I wouldn't have thought. Well, the fact that it was the best 18 meant that a couple of them dropped off. Goddard was the obvious choice, but given that you've said him, I'm going to go Kane Lambert. Named on ball, played the majority, of, or yeah. played the whole game. Played the whole game, yeah, yeah disappointing. And, and scored 43 points. He only rose... Uh, rose... Only went up about uh, ten grand uh, wow. after being, you know, one hundred and two k basement price. So a little disappointed, but hopefully this week, you know, teams should start to look like full premium teams. Rockliffe confirmed last night on oh, Twitter he? that he's going to be playing this week. He, he sent out a tweet saying, "For all those super coaches slash dream teamers slash AFL fantasy players." That keep filling my feed. I'm back. The answer yeah. is yes. yes. How many t- times do you reckon Copes Nine at Copes Nine <laughs> tweeted Copes Rockcliffe nine. last week to see whether he was playing or not? He's moved the private eye fr- straight from Brisbane down to Hawthorne. <laughs> I think it's under Ruffhead now. So we're looking for the same response from Ruffhead this week. Uh, that's something I don't do, but maybe I should start doing it. <laughs> Get some better insight for the podcast. Uh, all right, let's just talk briefly about trade targets. Rawls, you mentioned marriage could go out for you this week with a. It's only one week. I mean, if you, if you see him as your long term, yeah, right? I don't need a donut though, mate. I don't. Do I? I Come just, on. If I had to be honest, if I owned Dusty and I saw what Goldie was doing, I don't think I'd want to hold on to him. This is the perfect reason. <laughs> you don't own Goldie. This is the perfect no, reason to get Goldie. Oh, if I have to do it, I got to do it. Yeah. So I'm looking at Goldie this week for marriage. Um, potentially the other one I could go. Fifty grand. I could go you. down to, which I do have in my bank account. But the other <laughs> one I can go down to is possibly Caruso, who's coming off two hundreds back to back, and he's only uh, three eighty with a low break even. So. That is a an option for me, and then I could potentially upgrade Crips if he's have you, out. Have you looked at, uh, I don't want to say his name and get it wrong again, but the man that I was looking at last week with Sarves as an exciting... Yeah. You told me you were going to go away and research that. But his name, yeah, and I have sort of, and I'm sticking with it. Blissarves, Blissarves. There's no X, is there? No, there's no X, but the C forms an X. Oh my goodness! I told you this last week. So, have you had a look at him? <laughs> no, you? I haven't had a look at him yet. So, I'll, I'll have a look at his price and all the rucks. You like a um, difference too. I'm still hoping Richmond take it on and, and try and get <laughs> marriage off. off at the moment. But Oh, mate. I texted you boys last night. I could not believe where his elbow ended up in that contest. Yeah, it oh. wasn't a good look. So, I think <laughs> you should well take the one. Get, <laughs> he's done well to only get one week. Uh, Morton, what about you for the mud crabs? Oh, boys. Absolutely dire, dire straights here. There are so many options this week. I've got a couple of guys that are maxing out in their price. Adam Oxley's finally ready to go and so is Mitch Wallace so they're two guys that I'm, I'm I want to get it. Wallace plays the Suns this week Wallace does play the Suns but they were good last week as well so I wouldn't expect um, them to just turn it on but um, I actually is the real worry for me if he potentially gets subbed with a break even of 124 if he gets subbed for 30 or 40 then that would be a real issue so um, it's just a bit of bit of Making the make sure I make the right decision there in terms of Oxley, and then I can still move Wallace up to whomever I'd like. So it's whether to go Oxley down or Oxley up is is something for mine. A guy I just looked at was McCray, 
Is that right? Yeah. I, had my, I just reversed my trades about two minutes ago. McRae was in there and looked good. Just have to see <laughs> how good, that goes. Oh, mate, he looked good. Averaging, the, ha- look good with a mud crabs jersey on. He did, averaging 99. <laughs> that's exactly what I'd like to see back there. You see the photo on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting and potential, potentially gutsy one this week after we were just talking about Gibson is possibly starting Calhoun over him. Seems to be a, seems to be a bit of a hothead. He after might be a bit fired up this yeah, week. Yeah, a bit of a hothead during the week. You know, people will be sledging him on the field, so hopefully he can bounce off half. <laughs> I'm back tipping he might get a few pals. <laughs> <laughs> he might get oh, a nice few pals. Pal. Yeah, cheers, pal. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, for me, I'm looking at holding trades this week. The only one that I had looked at was potentially Adam Saad. But I think I'm going to hold for another week. How are you going to do that, mate, with those two little men up there just looking yeah, at oh you I saying, know. please click me? <laughs> little man Otis could get me this week. But, yeah, the one that I don't have is Colquhoun, who I, I watched last week, and he looked like a good player playing through the midfield. I could potentially go handling or lever sideways to him. I don't think it's worthwhile in my plan for the rest of the season. So probably going to look past that one. The other one for me is what to do with Boston mm-hmm. and how long to hold on to him. Uh, hopefully Jared Roughhead's back at some point soon. The idea over the next three weeks is Operation Ablett. So it's making cash, making cash, and then Crips becomes Ablett for me. Very good. Good plan. Sounds good. All right, thanks for joining us again for another week. Boys, Roars, JL, thanks for joining us. You can get us on at BringTheMustard on Twitter or BringTheMustard.com.au on our website. Thanks for listening.